Here are some questions that have come in from the audience, Pastor Kuhn. Uh, may I read them? Yes, and before this, shall we ask the Lord to give us the wisdom in answering? Dear Father in heaven, you've promised, I'll instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with mine eye. Psalm 32, 8. We ask that you will fulfill this promise, and because it's impossible for God to lie, we believe you, and we want to thank you already that since the gift is in the promise that we are receiving, in thy lovely name, amen. And the first question, Mrs. Uh, you have mentioned the seven laws of family and soul winning communication several times in this series. Among them is Jesus. Would you develop a bit more in detail how what you call the first law of uh, communication, namely Jesus, fits into family or soul winning communication? Yes. Uh, you see, Jesus is the very center of life. For me to live is Christ. So the first thing in the morning, we recommend that individuals will take time with Jesus. They will make him the first, the very first thing and consideration of the day, and they will make a new commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, then we suggest that husband and wife will take time together, worshiping the Lord in a little season of prayer, reading his word. Thus, Jesus becomes a central point of the beginning of the day. Then it may be, Mrs. George, that as the husband, say, gets into his car to go to work, that he will do something that many other people have been doing. I have actually stepped outside of my car, even after I was all ready to drive, and I said, oh, wait a minute. I jump out of the car, go around the front right door, open the door, and invite Jesus to be my guest. You know, in uh, Revelation, the third chapter, he said, I stand at the door and knock. If any man open the door, I, I will come in. I'll sup with him and he with me. So as a symbol of opening the door of our heart to him that day, it's a beautiful thing. To, in, to invite him to sit with us in the car if we're on our way to work, you see. As I've done it, I've been literally blessed by the Lord. I remember that uh, a lady told us in one of the places where we're holding meetings, when I explained, in fact, I didn't expect to ever tell anybody that I'd ever invited Jesus to ride with me that way. I thought that they might think I was a little beside myself, but finally I did. And a couple days later, a lady said that when her husband went to work, and the children went to school in the morning, she said to herself, if Pastor Kuhn can invite Jesus to ride with him in the car, can't I invite Jesus into the home with me? She said, so I went to the front door, and as I opened the door, I said, dear Lord Jesus, will you come in and be my guest today? She exclaimed, she said, Pastor, I have never been a happier in any day of my life when I've been all alone. She said, it really works. I'm thinking of another case. We were relating these two experiences in a certain church. Uh, the custodian, a lady custodian in the church, had a little girl who was very saucy. And, uh, and, the, and the father of this little girl was not a Christian. He was away much of the time. And the mother came to us and she said, what in the world am I going to do with this little daughter of mine, only six years of age, is, is so saucy? I don't know what to do. I said, well, maybe 
maybe I'll be able to recommend something in my sermon tomorrow morning. And the next morning, I related how I had invited Jesus to ride with me in the car, uh, how this lady had invited her into, his, into her home, how another individual had actually set a place for Jesus. As this lady went home from the meeting that day with her little girl, she said, Honey, we're going to set a plate for Jesus at the table. And uh, as she prepared, she put a plate for herself, a plate for her daughter, a plate for Jesus, a chair at each place. And her little daughter, Alice, said, Mommy, is Jesus really going to sit in this chair? And the mother said, Honey, Jesus is going to be with us just as surely as he as though we could see him. So she said, we sat down to eat and we invited Jesus to bless the food. She said, my little saucy daughter was the sweetest, most respectful thing you ever saw. But she said, as the meal time went on, she finally forgot Jesus. And she reverted into her old ways and she said, mommy, you think you're smart, don't you? And she said, I looked in the direction of the plate that we'd set for Jesus and very quietly I said, Jesus, uh, I don't think that was too nice, what my little girl said. And she said, my little daughter reached over and patted me on the wrist, all embarrassed. And she said, Mommy, you know I didn't mean it. You know I didn't mean it. She said, Pastor, the presence of Jesus means so much in my home. I'm so happy that you presented one of these great secrets, the central secret of Christian living. It's Jesus. Mm -hmm. uh, here's a question, Pastor. I'm a very, very busy housewife. I don't seem to be able to find time for devotions, like Bible study and prayer. What is the answer? The answer is that no one can find time if he, if he fits his devotional life around his daily duties. He must fit his daily duties around his devotional life. Matthew 6.33 says, if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all the other things shall be added. I think I ought to give a personal testimony here, Mrs. George. When I was a, a young man in my teens going away to school, some of our people have heard this before, but I just want to uh, review it very briefly. Uh, I decided to take the first hour in the morning with the Lord. My father had recommended that we do that. If we give the Lord an hour in devotions each day, he said he wasn't afraid for our future. Uh, there was no way I could work this hour in with the Lord. I had so much to do. I had to be at the farm at 4.30. Then when I came back to eat, then I went to classes in school, for I was taking my school, my education. And when I was through the classes, I ate dinner, went back to the farm. There's no time to work it in. So the Lord impressed me to get up one hour before I had to go to work. And I got permission from the dean of the boys' dormitory to use the boys' washroom at 3.30 in the morning. And I spent from 3.30 to till nearly 4.30 with the Lord. I found this taking time of the Lord can't be fitted in around the schedule. Our schedule of life has to be fitted around that. And I'd recommend to people that they take, if not a full hour in the morning, begin with taking maybe 15 minutes and keep growing until they can take a half an hour in the morning. Some then will take a full hour. Others will take a half an hour in the morning, maybe a half an hour at night. But this is the central law of life for me to live is Christ. Is there another question, Mrs. George? Yes. Um, now, here's one. Uh, uh, oh, pardon me. Oh. I might say this before you ask that question. 
Speaking of Jesus, I almost forgot this. Speaking of Jesus as a central law of life, many people have come to us and they have said, uh, aren't things important? Yes. Aren't things important? Maybe some of our listeners have, have raised that question. Aren't they, are you saying uh, in making Jesus first and the central uh, life of our life, do you mean we're to ignore things? We don't mean that at all, uh, audience. We mean that when Jesus is the center of our life, all things revolve around him. Now, we have found that many Christians in their home have placed good things in place of Jesus. There are many good things to do, and by the time they get through outlining all of these rules regarding things, their family hardly knows that Jesus is the center of the home, and it's questionable as to whether he is the center of their home. So they should, any things that they discuss, religious things, religious duties, should always find Christ at the center. For instance, you take keeping God's holy Sabbath. Jesus is the center of the holy worship day. We worship him, the Bible says in Isaiah 58, 13. It says, if you honor him and call the Sabbath a delight by his being in the center. So the center of, of the worship day is a person, Jesus. The center of, of a holy living is Jesus. The reason why I don't uh, drink alcohol is because Jesus is the center of my life and I've found a satisfaction in Jesus. So instead of belittling those who drink and those who smoke and those who dance and those who have uh, entertainment and all these questionable cl clubs, we can let them realize that we have found a joy and a satisfaction in Jesus Christ, the first and the central law of life. Maybe, I pardon see. me for interrupting oh, the question. Right. Right. Um, do you mean to say that I am never to help my married children in a financial way if they're in trouble? No, the Bible doesn't say that we should not help them in trouble at all. Uh, we have helped our married children in days of trouble. I have too. <laughs> have you? Good. Uh, yes, there are, uh, of course, two extremes. The one extreme is to say, now since you two are one flesh, I'm never going to help you. And uh, the extreme on their part would be to say, since we two are one flesh, I shall no longer respect my parents. That's the wrong extreme. The other is, the, the, the center of the road is, for children who are married to still honor and respect their parents, maybe more than ever. But for parents to love their children so much that if it's in their power to do so, when an, emer an emergency arises, of course they'll fly to the side of their children. And yet, I'm very careful when in extreme emergencies I have flown to the side of my children. I've been very careful not to tell them how to use the money. They still, the two are still one flesh. If the fact that I am coming to their aid in an emergency, I feel justifies me now in taking over in their life, I've broken the law of separation and union, you see. I think you have another question from the audience. Um, am I to never give my married daughter any suggestions on how to have a happy home? <laughs> that is a good, a very good question. And it's packed full of emotion. You see, here we are. Our children come into the world. They are worth the world to us. They are our little doll babies. We love them with all our hearts. 
we pour upon them our affection, and then they come to a certain age, and all at once, a person who seems to be a total stranger comes into their lives, and maybe in a year they're married. And it is an, it's really it's a, it's an experience of suffering. This separation, part of our very lives, it seems, have, have, has gone from us. So now, shall we never give them counsel? Here is the law of choice. One more of those seven secrets. The law of choice means that I am not to tell any adult anything unless he wants to know. Whether it is my children, whether it's somebody else's children, no matter who they are. The law of choice means when they open their hearts longingly for information, then I share. But I must be far more careful in sharing information with my own married children than anybody else because emotion is liable to take over. So as I do share information with my children, I must be exceptionally careful that that is a Bible principle and that I do not make the application. I leave it between them and the Holy Spirit to find the application. The Holy Spirit gave the direction. The Holy Spirit must make the application to them. And I can say now, here are certain rules and principles that I am learning. And uh, I would suggest that you too, studying them over, pray to the Lord that he'll give you wisdom as to how to apply these principles in your life. That way, I'm not imposing my own judgment through uh, misdirected emotion. I'm pointing them to definite, specific Bible principles when they ask. I think you have another. I have paid and paid and paid to get my 33-year-old son out of trouble. What should I do now? Uh, Mrs. George and audience, many have been the people who have come to us with this problem. They have they've almost bankrupted themselves paying and paying to get children out of trouble, married children, and they get right back in. And then the parents, hoping that this is the last time that the child will be involved, they, they borrow money in some cases to help their children again, only to find that the child was irresponsible. You see, it's one thing for me to help anyone, whether they be my children or other individuals, in an emergency where they have done their best, and maybe they have not used the best judgment. But when an individual is completely irresponsible and I keep paying off his debts, I am, I am really breaking a vital law of life. The Lord says, except a sentence against an evil work is executed speedily. This is found in the book of Ecclesiastes. Unless sentence against an evil work is executed speedily, it is fully set in the hearts of men to do evil. What does that mean? It means this, that in God's wonderful program of life, discipline is very important. If when my children are in irresponsibly wasting money, if I do not permit them to reap what they've sown, they can never learn the lesson in life. I'm defeating the very, Lord's, the very purpose of the Lord in letting people learn the lessons. He said, whatever a man sows, he'll reap, Galatians 6, 7. So that is where we should ask the Lord for wisdom. James 1, 5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Lord, how far should I go? I may be defeating the very purposes of God in, in developing their character. 
And I may have to sit down with these children in loving tenderness and explain to them that the reason why I cannot go farther is I'm a steward of the Lord's funds. And as a steward, I don't have the right to waste my Lord's money. I'll pray for them. I will love them. But they must also go to the Lord and learn the lessons which the Lord would teach. Now, here's one. How about a father-in-law who is fixing his grandchildren's toys and fixing and fixing them, and uh, which the father has no time to do, and now he sort of notices that his daughter-in-law is making eyes at him. What, what should he do? Well, audience, I would say this is a very, very rare exception. This wouldn't happen once in probably 10,000 times or a million times. But if it does happen, then what shall he do? The Bible says in Romans 12, 21, we're to overcome evil with good. In the Lord's Prayer, our Lord Jesus said that we should pray, deliver us from evil, which means keep off of the magnetic field. If he senses, either with his own daughter-in-law, which is, as I say, so rare, or with anyone, if he senses an infatuation is being built up, the Lord is very clear in this. He said, move out of the infatuated field. But maybe, in the case of some of us, we may not have the ability to move out in our strength. So the Lord's given another promise. Philippians 2.13, it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. I'm thinking of a young lady that came to me. It's not a parallel to this case, but the principle is the same. She told of how she had, uh, she'd had a sweetheart in her younger days. And uh, the sweetheart and she broke up and he married someone else. And later she married someone else. She said a little later, she moved to the very place where her former sweetheart and his wife lived. She said they became good friends and she said, before I realized it, I was infatuated with him and he with me. She said, we have actually been living together for a while. She said, I went to a counselor and the counselor said, you get out of his life. And I said, my dear little sister, that's good counsel, but it's bad. It's good in that it's well to get out of his life, but it's bad in this effect. You can't get out of his life. You're like a piece of steel clung to this magnet. So we must ask the bigger magnet, who is Jesus, to, to draw us out of this life. It is God that works in us, both to will and to do. So if any of our audience finds himself or herself uh, involved in a little infatuation, flee to the Lord. Ask him to be the big giant magnet that will draw us out of this infatuation. My mom and dad are always giving toys to the children. I keep telling them that there are more toys than they can use. What can I do to keep them from spoiling the children rotten? That, that really is a good question, isn't it? That's a very good question. Here are, here are a father and a mother, a granddaddy and a grandmother, who's, who are so generous, they're so loving, they're so outgoing. And naturally, grandparents just almost idolize their grandchildren, you know. Now, what are they going to do as they're giving toys and toys and more toys and still more toys to these children, to these grandchildren? 
And as uh, the questioner said, the grandchildren are, are just uh, breaking them off. We would make this suggestion. The Bible tells us one of these 45 Bible laws of marriage has to do with the sitting down time of making decisions. In Luke, the 14th chapter, verses 28 to 30, it indicates that no man will build a tower, but first he will sit down. And no man will go against another army with his army until he sits down. They sit down and study all the problems involved and they study all of the resources involved. Now, the sitting down time of making decisions is very important. Uh, they should choose a time, the daddy and mother of these children, should choose a time when they can sit down with granddaddy and grandmommy. And maybe they will, yes, they will, they'll follow another Bible law, Romans 12, 21. It says, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. They will not start berating granddaddy and grandmommy. Look at what's happening. All these toys you're giving our children, they're all breaking up. They won't do that. They won't go into orbit around the problem. They'll merely identify the problem. Second Corinthians 3.18 says, by beholding, we're changed in the same image. So they'll merely identify the problem and they'll start something like this. Uh, they'll speak to their own father and mother. They may not call them granddaddy and grandmommy because the children out there are listening. Mother and Daddy, we can't tell you how much we appreciate your love for us and your generosity. It's wonderful, your liberality. And we have a little suggestion, if you think it would be good. Uh, we brought a few of these toys over, and uh, the children don't seem to really appreciate so many toys. Maybe a few they would appreciate. But the, our children are, are, are just breaking these toys up. See, they've broken these toys up, and they'll show they've broken these up, and look at these toys. And since they're wasting your money, and you're so generous, we wondered what would you think of this? Would you like to take some of the money that you're investing in these toys and maybe, maybe start a little educational fund? So when the children got older, you'd be able to say, you know, we found that we were over-toying with you, and we decided that we would start a little educational fund, and the little children, as they come to a place where they'll need the money, they'll rise up and call you blessed. What would you think of that, Daddy and Mother? You're so generous. You're so liberal. You see, thus they're overcoming the evil with good. We would suggest that. And, of course, they'll claim a promise from the Lord that they can follow these principles. First, sitting down. Don't just rush over in an emotional, negative emotion, but uh, at some time when you can sit down quietly and start with a thanks and appreciation for what daddy and mother are doing, and then make the suggestion which overcome evil, overcomes evil with good. Now, as they claim the promise for wisdom, it may be that the Lord will give them a better solution than what we've suggested. This is just one possible solution. Do you have another question, Mrs. George? Yes. Uh, my husband's father is a professional man, and he is very successful. Uh, my husband has a tremendous inferiority complex, and he is a carpenter. And he doesn't feel like he amounts to anything. Please help me to help him. Well, now that's... Uh, would you read that again so yes. the whole, audi whole audience can take this in? 
My husband's father is a professional man, and he is very successful. My husband has a uh, tremendous inferiority complex. He is a carpenter and doesn't feel like he amounts to anything. Please help me to help him. Very good. Very good. Now, the way to help him, according to the Bible, 2 Corinthians 3.18, is instead of, uh, instead of picking on him over his inferiority, it is to present before him that which uh, constitutes an image of success. Uh, by beholding, we're changed, 2 Corinthians 3.18. Again, Romans 12.21 says, overcome evil with good. So you'll claim a promise for wisdom, James 1.5, that you may gradually and indirectly present to your husband an image of success. How can you present to him an image of success? The man is already a successful carpenter. It's only as he compares his limited success with his father's tremendous success that he becomes inferior. He's already a good cabinet maker. So you will apply some of these seven secrets, for instance. You don't, you don't take him on and say, listen, you have no right to be inferior. You, you have every right to be superior. No, 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 no. You can drop a hint, a seed like this. Man, you are a beautiful carpenter. That is beautiful. Now you're giving him an image, a self-image of success. And as he beholds this self-image of success, he is changed into more success. For there's nothing so successful as success. The Bible says, we comparing ourselves among ourselves are not wise. Every contrast that anyone is tempted to make between him and his father is only counterproductive. So you'll drop little seeds. If it's overdone, you'll see. If he thinks you're taking him on, you'll see. I'm taking him on and I'm really scolding him for fe feeling inferior. It'll only make him feel more inferior. So little seeds of faith expressed. Uh, maybe occasionally to say to him, uh, and this is another law of humility, to say to your husband, my, I wish that, I wish I were a carpenter like you. Uh, would you give me some counsel? Now you're asking your husband to give you some counsel in regard to some little thing regarding his carpentry. You may not use the word counsel. You, may, you might say, how do you do this? My, I wish I were blessed like this. And not overdo it, just a sentence or two. Thus he's getting a new image of, him success, of himself as a successful carpenter. Instead of comparing himself with his father's huge success. Now there's another success image that you can give him. Uh, I'm assuming that this husband is, a, is an honest man. You may drop a little statement. My, I thank the Lord for belonging to, a, to being the wife of a man who's honest and noble, upright in his business. You see, anything that you can latch onto to express the successful image to him, by beholding this image, he'll be changed into this very same image, you see. Now, as you do it, you'll keep claiming a promise for wisdom so that you won't start taking him on and start saying, now, 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 listen, you're good, don't you, don't, don't you keep looking at your father. None of that, don't, don't go into that. Just keep presenting the success that he's already attained without ever referring to his father, you see. And the Lord promises, whatever we do will prosper. You know, Mrs. George, 
during this series on family communication, many questions have come in. They are sincere questions. They have come from hearts that are deeply sincere. Why don't we claim a promise that the Lord will direct them? It's found in, in Psalm 25, verse 9. The meek he will guide in judgment. The meek he will teach his way. Shall we pray? Lord, we come asking you in the name of Jesus to fulfill this promise of guidance for the dear ones and all in our audience and their friends who are seeking the better way of life. We believe your promise and thank you according to our faith we have received in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.